What's up, Gin folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button right quick. Today, we have to talk about Ohio State's dominant win against the Spartans. Cincinnati showing the CFP committee what it's really about and what does Michigan have to do to beat the Buckeyes in the game. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. All right. With its 56-7 defeat of number 7 Michigan State on Saturday, Ohio State left no doubt about who is the frontrunner to win the Big Ten Championship with the game against Michigan left to play. While much will be said, and should be, about Buckeye quarterback C.J. Stroud passing for nearly 400 yards with six TDs, wideouts Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba going for 100 yards with the receiving TD apiece, and the Buckeyes jumping out to a seven-touchdown lead all by halftime, the point to raise about their argument for their invitation to the college football playoff isn't the offense. However, the Buckeyes have seen just five 1,000-yard receivers in their history. This year, they could have three alone. Means the Buckeye offense could join 2007 Tulsa as the only programs in history with a 4,000-yard passer, three 1,000-yard receivers, and a 1,000-yard rusher in true freshman Travion Henderson. I was a sophomore at Tulsa when quarterback Paul Smith and offensive coordinator Gus Malzahn put together the best offensive season I'd seen in my life until then. That this Ohio State offense could join that group by the end of the semester is simply amazing. Still, it's the Buckeye defense that blanked the Michigan State offense right up until the start of the fourth quarter when it just allowed 234 total yards and Heisman candidate Kenneth Walker III, who had averaged 147 yards a game rushing, was held to just 25 yards rushing on six rushes and allowed just five third down conversions of them, 16 third down conversion attempts. Look, what I'm saying is, the Ohio State defense is on its roll. Since losing to Oregon 35-28 at the shoe, the Buckeye defense has steadily improved and laid down a marker with its best performance all year for the CFP committee to consider with one game left in the regular season. And now, there are no more Ducks to line up in a row. Now, I want to talk about a few things in this Ohio State game, right? The first one was just how fast they started and how every possession ended with TD, okay? What I'm telling you is Ohio State's offense is the biggest threat to Georgia's defense. And then when you look at how Ohio State blew out Michigan State and you look at what Georgia did to an FCS opponent, look at this. Like, what are we doing here? Look at this. Ohio State beats number seven Michigan State, who up until then had one loss, 56-7. Georgia beats something called Charleston Southern, 56-7. Now, yes, I watched a bunch of that game because I'm that type. I watch as much football as there is football to watch. 
and I understand. You didn't have the first string out there the whole time. I get that, Georgia. But the score is a score, and showing out is showing out, and Ohio State needs the style points in a way that Georgia simply does not. It's Georgia by a mile as the number one team in the country. Okay, We all get this. But outside of perhaps Pitt, I don't think we've seen an offense like Ohio State's all year. Okay, Number three, Oregon, though, had an argument. Okay, as Ohio State's just doing what they were doing. Look at this. They had an argument going into this game against Utah. And then all of a sudden, we get Utah dumping Oregon on its head for the first time since 2018. They were up 28-0 at half. And a dude that has literally been playing football for six years in Britain Govey ran one back on them. Now look. I feel like this is a safe place where I can talk to y'all about such things and y'all not going to lose your minds about this. But when a dude that is a dead ringer for a Hunter Renfro, lunch pail kind of guy, hustle kind of dude, runs one back on you as you are supposed to be not just the class of the Pac-12 conference, but one of the four best teams in college football, you don't come back from that. There is no coming back from that. Okay? We all saw it. Now, the Pac-12's CFP drought is going to extend, not just for the length of a U.S. Senator's term, but once again, to how many years Britton Covey has been playing football. Okay? This man was around for year one at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh in his first year. It feels like Jim Harbaugh has been there forever. All right? Look, I'm looking at Utah, and I'm going, Cam Rising is that dude now. Think about this. They got three tailbacks they can hurt you with. I guess the other part to lay in here is that this is the worst loss for Oregon as a top five, like anything, AP coaches, CFP, in its school history. 38-7. It's that terrible. It's that bad. Now, when I talk to Oregon fans who know from such things, they would tell you that they expected something like this to happen. They didn't know it was going to be Utah at one point. It felt like it might be somebody else, but certainly they didn't seem like the team that they were when they beat Ohio State at the shoe. And I want to stick on that for just a second because as I have been very loud about, hey, look, I don't care how good or bad Ohio State or Oregon has looked. They played head-to-head, and Oregon beat them without their best player. Now, the pro-Ohio State argument is obviously they're not the same team that they were when they played Oregon. Well, neither's Oregon. And I would argue that they would have liked to have had Kayvon Thibodeau. Even though we got Ohio State, who's got to be looking at the CFP committee, the way that LeBron James was looking at J.R. Smith, talking about, I thought we had time left when I caught that timeout. Because it doesn't make any sense. Because the CFP committee has its rules, where it says head-to-head has to matter. Except, apparently, there's some invisible writing you know, in some invisible ink that we can splatter on, see it with the black light that says, only when we say it matters. Because they had Michigan ranked above Michigan State, even though Michigan State had beaten Michigan. Now, because they look right on the back end, doesn't mean they were right on the front end. And what I'm saying is, if Oregon had managed to beat Utah by, I don't know, 38-7, we would have been here talking about how Ohio State needs the same benefit of the doubt that you gave to Michigan when you wanted the game to be a big deal and it felt like you were trying to pad the resume for Ohio State to get there because, as I wrote at FoxSports.com, 
CFP committee loves Ohio State. I mean, come on, man. Like, take a look at it. But it's also about these rankings and what should matter or doesn't matter. All right? So when I do my rankings, we, we could talk about whether or not you agree with it. But the protocol is the protocol. I say that when you play somebody and they are ranked, it should matter because we thought they were good at the time. It does not matter that we were wrong at the time that we thought they were good because games have to be played. Which is another way of saying, should we have rankings at all? That's not for me to consider. Okay? It's a ranking show. I like rankings. I think they help us distinguish who's good and who's not and give people something to absolutely show up to work for. Right? If you see a six in front of Michigan as opposed to nothing in front of Michigan, you might care a little bit more when they go beat down Maryland. 59 to 18. You certainly are going to care that they're probably going to vault to number five as Ohio State, I got to believe, is going to move to number three with Cincinnati hopefully coveting that number four spot to be the first group of five team to get that spot. We'll talk about that in a second. But with the game on its way, big noon, okay? We got Gus and Joel calling it. Everybody going to be there for this. We didn't get it last year. And this is not just for the Big Ten East, but this is probably for a college football playoff spot, right? Because you're probably going to get, like, Wisconsin or whatnot in the Big Ten championship game. I guess the question to ask here is can Michigan beat Ohio State? For which I feel like we've been here before. I feel like that's where we're going to be every year. Long as Jim Harbaugh's head coach of Michigan and Ryan Day is the head coach of Ohio State. And so far, the answer, whether it's been Ryan Day or Urban Meyer, has been no. But Michigan, this is your season. All right? This is it. Now, I'm not going to sit over here and give you the Gary Gaines, can you be perfect speech because you're not and you can't. And neither were they. But maybe, just maybe, this defense that you have shown yourself capable of playing you can play against Ohio State. And if you can do that, if you can get stops, because we know Ohio State wants to go fast, and we know that they need to be able to move the rock, right? That's a big part of what they do. And you can hand the ball to the likes of Hassan Haskins. You prove that Donovan Edwards, with 10 catches, 170 yards, is an outstanding third option. You got Sid Blake Corum in a blowout against Maryland. Okay? You got three tailbacks, what I'm saying. You don't have to ask Cade McNamara to go beat that Ohio State secondary because, A, I don't think he can do that, right? And, B, I don't think that's how you want to win. I mean, we all know what a Michigan football team looks like with Jim Harbaugh. They want to run the ball. They want to bleed the clock. They want to run the ball. They want to bleed the clock. You know, look, Oregon want to run the ball. They want to bleed the clock. You know what happens when they get down 28? They're not coming back. You know who else looks like Oregon? Wisconsin. As a matter of fact, I've seen more Wisconsin lookalikes this year than I care to admit, Oklahoma State, we'll talk about it in a little bit, is a Wisconsin lookalike. This ball control defense stuff, it only works if you have the ball and you can play defense. What makes Ohio State so good and the reason that the eye test is working for us is that Ohio State can go get 50. I called it in the first quarter. I said, okay, Ohio State go put up 50 again against a team that I thought, you know, despite having the worst pass defense in the entire country, in the entire division, might be able to run Kenneth Walker for a little while and might be able to mitigate that. But no, Ohio State showed up with some F-22 Tomcats 
to the friendly skies of Michigan State and said, we will have every bit of you, sir. And Michigan, this is on tape. So, once again, if Michigan State has a chance to do what hadn't been done in a very long time and beat Ohio State, you better play the best defense that you have ever played in your entire life, and you better rush for 300 yards. You can't afford to let C.J. Stroud, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, Travion Henderson, I keep going, have their way with you. Because if they get 35, you're not getting to 36. All right. Number two, Alabama. Beat number 21, Arkansas. 42-35, clinched the SEC West. Spread on this was 20 and a half, right? So, shout out to Arkansas. But Alabama, baby, you look shook. Baby, you don't even look no mean. You look like low mean. Like you about to get eight. All right? Like, I'm looking at this game, and my man Sam Pittman, the pit boss, out here pulling out the kitchen sink. Talking about, no, I got this jump pass on this fake field goal for you, Bama. How you like me now? I got K.J. Jefferson going for three bills, okay? I got a defense that's fighting, clawing. Still gave up 561 and five TDs to Bryce Young. We're not going to act like that didn't happen, all right? We're not going to do that. But the way I look at this is also another way in which Ohio State is great. Check this out. Jamison Williams out there looking like the dude, okay? Jamison Williams has become what we thought John Mechie would be this year, honestly, right? What Devontae Smith was for them last year, or Jalen Waddell to, to some degree. He's their best wide receiver. Jamison Williams, Pat, he transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. It's not, not necessarily a move that you expect anybody to make. But why did he transfer? Because he was number four on the depth chart. Now, you just heard me wax poetic about them three-headed monsters they got out there at Ohio State, okay, where Chris Olave is perhaps the least talented of those dudes in that wide receiver room. And he's got the school record for TD receptions, all right? Over David Boston, who's an absolute monster, by the way. What I'm telling you is, Brian Hartline, you are absurd. Because Jameson Williams was once in your... He was once in Ohio State's receiver room. This is stupid. But, Bama, close win to Arkansas. And Arkansas, they got blanked by George 37-0. Close win to LSU. And LSU... That had a lame duck head coach and was hurt all the way through. Did not have Elias Ricks. Did not have Derek Stingley on the back end. You better come correct against Auburn. I don't care if they did lose to South Carolina because you look like you would get beat down. And then it won't matter what you do in the SEC championship game. Okay? You could win it because we're not going to put a two-loss SEC champion in there. I just don't see it. I don't think the CFB committee is that cynical. Okay? Again, I'll say, though, uh, Georgia, congratulations to you on, you know, getting this by. You invited Charleston Southern in for a spirited practice. You were able to stay fresh. They expect you to win the SEC East. Or, excuse me, SEC East. The SEC. You already clinched the SEC East. Okay. I guess the other question I have here is, of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, which one is the Heisman frontrunner to date? Okay. Because Kenneth Walker's out of there. Just out of there. Didn't do much today. Got held to 25 yards after averaging 147.3. But C.J. Stroud passed for 432, right? 
in basically two and a half quarters. Had 393 and six TDs in the first half. Let's just go with that. I mentioned Bryce Young went 561 and five TDs. Now, the Ohio State and non-Alabama fans are going to say Alabama's going to get the benefit of the doubt because Bryce Young and Nick Saban and whoop-de-whoop. To which anybody else would look at this and go, Ohio State, y'all, y'all are the largest fan base in the country. They obviously want you in the college football playoff. They are indicative of what the Heisman voters are likely to do. Now, the Heisman, as I have said, and you have read from me, is a pageant contest, okay? So what's really about, can you make your dude look better than their dude? And if C.J. Stroud goes for five bills against Michigan, I think y'all going to look at this a little bit differently. I don't think you're going to be so cynical. I think you're going to go into the Big Ten Championship game Watch that man go for over 4,000 yards passing, maybe get to 4,500 before getting into whatever, whatever bowl game, probably college football playoff game. And you'll be like, we should have the Heisman front runner. We should have the Heisman winner. But I could look at Travion Henderson and make that same argument. I could look at Jackson Smith and Jigba and make that same argument. Y'all are much, likely to, much more likely to leech votes from each other than you are to have an outright winner. Kind of like with Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields. You get it. I am inclined, though, to abstain for the time being. I don't know who's going to win the Heisman. And quite honestly, I don't really care that much. I care that you care, though. You know, I'm like the leprechaun. Me only want it because you want it. Okay. So, after that, Alabama's the SEC West champ and will face Georgia in the league title game. But should this performance go against the tide, will Alabama's one-score win over Arkansas affect the CFP rankings? Okay. Again, I'll say it. Alabama, beaten by Texas A&M, looked shook against LSU and now Arkansas. Even using the CFP committee's new math, how is this the number two team in the sport? And remember, it's me saying this, right? It's me. It's me asking you. Alabama hadn't been the number two team in the sport mostly since these rankings came out. All right? Since he's got a better uh, argument, Ohio State's got a better argument than Oregon now. Oregon had a better argument, even to a degree, Oklahoma before taking the L to Baylor. They had a better argument. Oklahoma State, Notre Dame. There's a lot of other teams I can look to and be like, man, if Nick Saban ain't the head coach of Alabama, they ain't no dog on number two. To which the CFP committee probably looks at us dead in the face and says, that's exactly why there's a number two team in the country. <laughs> do you know what it feels like to bet against Nick Saban? Yes, I do. Um, yes, I do. 2018 Orange Bowl, anybody. But I mentioned Cincy, right? I mentioned Cincy because Cincy got to be looking at this going, what else we have to do? So today, what did Cincy do? They sent their message to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee with a 48-14 to 14 win against Southern Methodists. Okay? It's spread on this as 12 and a half. And I mention this because I would have had Southern Methodists ranked. They were 8-2 and two coming into this. And they had the best offense in the American. Cincy had the best defense in the American. And what did they do? They're up 27-0 at halftime, and they did not let off the gas because they know they can't let off the gas. They can't count on the college football playoff selection committee watching their games. All they can count on is them reading the box score, okay? I'm the dude on the pluses. I'm the dude caught dialing up games with, with my partner talking about, baby, I got to watch Memphis and Houston play football because it might matter down the line. I'm that dude. I'm the dude who cares about what happens in UNLV, San Diego State. So you're not going to come to me talking about, did you watch the game? 
Hell yes, I watched the game. And I watched what Desmond Ritter was doing. He threw dimes today I'd never seen him throw. I am not the Desmond Ritter stand. I'm on record as being like, I don't know about that cat, but today you could have told me that he was body snatched by Tanner Mordecai because that's how good he looked, okay? So with your eye test, with your two blind eyes, rank Cincy inside the top four, if not at number two. They're undefeated. They're 311 and no teams. We're going to get to the third one too, by the way. But this is the best that Cincy has looked since they knocked off Notre Dame on the road. And the fact of the matter is they don't get to play Notre Dame 12 times, okay? They got the one time. And Notre Dame, for its part, dropped 55 on Georgia Tech today and hadn't lost since. It ought to matter, okay? That's what I'm saying. Pay Desmond Ritter. Pay Jerome, for, uh, Jerome Ford. Pay Sauce Gardner their respect. That's all I'm saying. Just pay them their respect. If they lose, they lost, you know? Be like Oklahoma, right? Which we'll get to in a second. But my favorite game of the day, gotta be my squad up, UTSA, coming to get a W out of Alabama, Birmingham, number 22, Texas San Antonio. Whoops them 34-31, but whoops them kind of leaving, bearing the lead here, okay? Because at first, I'm looking at this game like, this is the satellite bowl, right? You get it? You get your... University Systems is Satellite, you know, uh, you know, Dave Matthews Band song. You know what I'm talking about. Some of, some of y'all know. Some of y'all be like, RJ, man, I knew you went to Tulsa, but I ain't, I ain't know that about you. Anyway, this is the first actual successful defense of the Alamo, okay? That's the way to look at this. UTSA is down four with about 90 seconds left to play. Matter of fact, let me back this up. Because I got this game on, I got Nebraska whiskey on, I got Alabama-Arkansas on, I got all the games on, okay? But this got my focus. Because Bill Clark had the ball on the fourth and an inch line. And I knew that all his boys was doing was running up and down UTSA's defense, okay? That's all he was doing, okay? Then, Bill Clark did what I was like, you can't do this. He put it. He didn't let his boys go win the game. He punted the football to Sincere McCormick, to Frank Harris. And I was like, ooh, Barry Lunny about to dial something up right quick, fast, and hurry. And I tell you, they took it from their end to UAB's end. Frank Harris on his heroics, man. Just out there moving the ball, dropping dimes. Players out there making plays. And then on the goal line, they don't have no timeouts left, right? Snap it, fumble it, pick it up, tips it, gets caught in the back of the end zone. That's the game. 34-31 with the extra point. UTSA moves to 11-0. And as Coach Trailer said on the number one ranked show, to beat a man, you got to meet the man. And you know what? UTSA today, they's the man. Knock it off the three-time defending Conference USA champions. UAB Dragons. Congratulations to the birds. Keep it going. We'll see how far you go. And it absolutely matters because if Cincy slips, we could be talking about UTSA playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game, which for me would be the biggest one to make a New Year's Six Bowl game since Western Michigan. All right. Number nine, Oklahoma State beat Texas Tech in, I got to tell you, a game that I thought would not end to get to 10-1. But here's why this matters. 
With the win against Tech, Oklahoma State is in the Big 12 championship, regardless of what happens next week in Bedlam, okay? If Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State in Bedlam, then Oklahoma would play Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 championship game in Jerry World. So we get Bedlam on a neutral site. But if Oklahoma State were to win Bedlam, Baylor could get into the Big 12 championship game with a win against Texas Tech. Now, Donovan Smith, quarterback of Texas Tech, ain't looked like the dude he was against Texas Christian. Didn't, didn't look one bit about that. But two things on that front. The first is Jim Knowles is really, really good at his job. Okay, Oklahoma State's defense playing absolutely outstanding football. Other thing is Texas Tech was also willing this game to be a slugfest. They were putting eight in the box, selling out against the run, going, we're not going to just let you beat us running the football. We're going to try to make you make Spencer Sanders beat us throwing the football. And that's what I was thinking the whole time here is how would Oklahoma face Oklahoma State next week? Well, let's talk about that by talking about what Oklahoma did today. Number 13, Oklahoma, moves to 10-1, defeats Iowa State 28-21 in Norman in a game where every Oklahoma fan I know is upset and mad and angry, okay? Doesn't matter that Oklahoma's defense held unanimous All-American tailback Brees Hall to 58 yards on 19 carries. They don't care, okay? Doesn't matter to them that they won the game. It matters to them that it came down to a last-ditch effort from Brock Purdy, who left the game. Hecker came in there. He didn't look great. They are probably better off with Brock Purdy in there. And then that Lincoln Riley apparently has forgotten how to score 50 is the joke, but whatever. It's also that Caleb Williams didn't look great throwing the football. It's the least amount of uh, yards they've thrown for in a long time. You're not sure who the starting quarterback ought to be, although I think it should be Caleb Williams at this point. I'm not really arguing about that. I'm saying this, though. It's been a long time since I could depend on Oklahoma defense to go win a football game when the offense ain't firing on all cylinders or when the offense needs some time to figure some stuff out. This is one of those games. You got to win them ugly. Like, that's my thing, man. Like, as an Oklahoma fan, especially an Oklahoma fan who is a millennial, right, diehard millennial, I don't know what it means to have a losing season. That ain't that ain't mine to carry. That's for the losers to carry. I'm not a loser. Okay? I'm 10 and 1 heading into Thanksgiving. That's not bad. And what I'm saying is, if you're an Okie, if you're an Oklahoma player, play this out. You know, the CFP committee has made it clear they don't want no Oklahoma anywhere near their playoffs. But that doesn't mean you gotta make it easier for them. I'm saying, Isaiah Thomas from Tulsa out here smacking. Pat Fields from Tulsa out here getting the game-winning interception. Out here smacking, okay? Jalen Redmond out here saying, no, give me that. The dudes are playing. The dudes are playing like dudes, okay? And if I am Oklahoma, the only thing I tell my defense is I'm putting eight. I might put nine, but I'm definitely putting eight in the box. I'm putting Pat Fields over the top. I'm telling my corners, you're on an island playing man. We're going to tell Mike Gundy, I dare you to try to let Spencer Sanders throw three bills on me. I dare you because we're just not going to let you run it. 
That's what they're good at. When I talk about all these Wisconsin clones we out here seeing, Minnesota, Illinois, those are the bad ones, right? I'm telling you, if you squint at Oklahoma State, you will see a team that wants to run the football, plays outstanding defense, and hopes that its quarterback will make a few plays here and there. That is exactly what a good Wisconsin team will do. It's what they hoped that Graham Merch would be from the jump, right? Now that they got Braylon Allen out there trucking people for 200-plus yards, that dude's a monster. I mean, you're going to hear that man is 17 the rest of this season, but you need to understand he's 17, squatting like 600 pounds, and can't nobody bring him down. It's a different kind of 17. Like, biggest, strongest dude that I've seen at Wisconsin tailback since Ron Dane. It's like that out there, okay? But that's how Oklahoma State is playing football. And I remember this even four years ago. Mike Gundy held his fall presser at Gallagher-Iba. It's back when I was doing, like, local radio. And he was getting these very interesting questions about what he likes to do offensively and what players can do for him. And I thought it was telling that Mike Gundy would tell, would tell us, the media, I always want to run the football. I would always rather run the football. And then I think about this. When was Mike Gundy quarterback at Oklahoma State? When Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas were in the backfield. Okay? When he had Chuba Hubbard in the backfield, he treated him like secretariat, and he was going to run him. That's how they had a 2,000-yard rusher. That's who they want to be. If you know that's who they want to be, take that away from them. Make them play to their weakness. I know it's easier said, you know, on the show than it is done. But I'm not scared of them if I'm Oklahoma. For that matter, I wasn't scared of them if I'm Texas Tech. But that doesn't mean you can't be disciplined. You have to be. Because they're going to eat clock on you. Okay? That said, big picture question here is, does the winner of the Big 12 championship get into the college football playoff? And will it be Oklahoma State? Since Oklahoma State is already in the playoff, or playoff, excuse me, already in the, in the title game. I think they have the best chance to win the Big 12 championship because that would mean that Oklahoma has to beat them twice in a row, right? And Baylor has to try to beat them once again. I think that you can win one out of two easier than you can win two out of two. But should Oklahoma double up Oklahoma State? Should Notre Dame be Notre Dame, Cincinnati taking hell, some moving and shaking come through? Could you see a college football playoff section selection committee take Oklahoma into the 14 playoff? I mean, it's the math. Carry the five. No! They're not going to let you in. But you don't have to make it easy, baby. That's all I'm saying, okay? Don't make it easy on anybody to cut you out ever, okay? Keep knocking on the door. Finish your season. It's a damn good one. All right. That's our show for tonight. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor. Direct TV stream. Our producer is the intrepid Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Rachel Cohn is our lead of screening. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Niles Owens is on the live stream switches. Tyler Wojak, excuse me, Tyler, is our associate producer. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That is it for me. Doses. <laughs>